0: You're listening to the Missionary Perspective Podcast with veteran missionaries Eric Johnson and Joshua Mead. We're glad you could join us. We trust this podcast will be both a blessing and a challenge as we relate topics in world evangelism from a missionary perspective. Now, here's Josh and Eric.
1: Well, good morning, Josh. I tell you, I have never been so excited that I am today, or at least I was when I got your email a few weeks ago about talking about the nationals at least that's how i read the the uh the email i I got so excited josh finally wants to talk about the nationals and i started thinking about you know what we're going to talk about should the nationals re-sign juan soto for 12 years or should we uh See if uh, Josiah Gray is going to be uh, a number one starter, or is Steven Strasburg and and Pat Corbin going to have a balance back here? And then I started reading your email again, and I realized you weren't talking about my favorite team, the Washington Nationals, 2019 World Champion Washington Nationals. By the way, no, you want to talk about Nationals on the mission field? Which, by the way, is probably my second favorite topic to talk about uh, as a missionary. But so today, today now now last we are week take time we interviewed to last talk about week the nationals.
0: <laughs> last- Last week we interviewed uh, Daniel Jenkins, and he's from Georgia, right. and uh, I wanted to do a oh, segment yes. about being brave, and he totally thought we were talking about yeah. the braves there and things like that. <laughs> I get what you're saying. Those are some good dad jokes we have going on. <laughs> That's here. right. No, yeah, I'm excited. We're talking today, and we'll probably take the next two episodes to discuss national leadership, national training, uh, mentorship, discipleship, just a little bit of that. <laughs> we're just going to today discuss kind of a surface level about our own personal experiences, and working with nationals and national leadership. And then as well, uh, definitely some of the challenges. There's challenges, there's blessings. It's yes. one thing to do mentorship in your own culture. But as we know, as missionaries, there's a whole nother layer that is added when you are doing discipleship and mentorship and training in another culture and in another language. And so we're gonna share a little bit about that. So what are? tell us a little bit, in past episodes, you've talked a little bit and shared some of the other churches you've started. Maybe just share a little bit of your experience with some of the national leadership you've been privileged to work with and to train. Tell, tell us a little bit about that.
1: Uh, yes, we have had great um, blessings to work with some wonderful nationals. Now, let me just start by giving kind of introductions, saying that, josh and i would say there's probably without a doubt no not a more important work that we're going to do as missionaries than to train nationals to take over local new testament baptist churches and so in our experience in almost 13 years now here in the dominican republic uh, we've worked with many many different nationals but the one specifically that we've been able to say train up and launch out and help come alongside and uh, start their own new testament baptist churches are two men specifically Uh, the first one was Brother Ari Amparo. He was a young man when he came to our church. Uh, I think he was 19 years old. It's a very interesting story. Um, He had been actually teaching and uh, reading the Bible and teaching in a Pentecostal church, and he wasn't even saved yet as he read the Bible and really just devoured the Bible. Uh, the the Lord saved him. I used to say he was saved in the Pentecostal church, and I kind of correct myself. Say, Really, he was saved by reading the Bible. And as he would be given these positions of leadership to be able to teach the Bible, the more he learned, the more he realized he was different than the church he was attending. And so the Lord allowed him to read some good Christian books, and he, he saw that they were authored by Baptists, and so he started praying literally praying that the Lord would allow him to be trained by a Baptist preacher. And so he heard through his grandfather and another friend that there was a Baptist church in town. So he came to our church that very first Sunday. And I remember he he came in, he introduced himself, he and his uncle actually, and they were from a, a very poor area of the northern part of our town. And one of the first things he said to me was, uh, pastor, would you train me to be a Baptist preacher so I can go back and start a church on my side of town? Like That's literally the first thing he kind of said to us. And that hadn't happened to me before, and really hasn't happened to me since, and uh, it was a very unique, unique thing, and I remember thinking, well, <clears throat> that's very exciting, let's make sure you come back next Sunday, you know, let's, let's see some faithfulness, and you know, he did, and, and very early on, we saw that he was a very special young man who really knew the Bible very, very well, and uh, so we got to pour our lives into his life, and we'll talk about him a little more, and how we specifically did that. Um, But then the the other gentleman we've been able to also send out with his wife um, to start a church on the southern part of town is Pastor Elias Ventura. Now, Elias had a different background. (laughs) He's a little older than I am, about 10 years older than I am. uh, And I take that back. He's almost about uh, 20 years older than I am. Uh, But he had spent time in America, even though he's a Dominican. Uh, He had been trained in different churches, really highly um, involved in evangelism had a very evangelistic zeal and spirit, and um, it's, it was need to kind of come alongside him and kind of help, in some ways, finish some of his training in a more practical sense, maybe fill in some of the formal training. Uh, he had had a lot of uh, other training that we kind of helped finish him along. And really, as we'll talk a little bit later, how the Lord originally, in his own mind, he didn't necessarily have the call to be a pastor. Uh, and how the Lord kind of worked in his heart through other circumstances to get a desire for another part of town where he started a church. So we've had um, three different church dynamics. Our church is in kind of a middle class to upper middle class area, the first church we started. Pastor Ari lives in a very poor urban, we call barrio, setting. Um, and then Pastor Elias lives out in the campo, in the country, where there is there are no other churches. And so it's been very exciting to come alongside these men, serve with them, help uh, guide them for a time and then send them out and then to see the different dynamics. And so that from a sense of who we are working with today, specifically as pastoral training and really a mentorship and helping out with their church plants, that is the dynamic we have here in the Dominican.
0: Exciting. It's uh, similar here. We've worked with a few guys, Um, (laughs) not as many, you know, it's not as big a church work here, not as many believers in this country. And so there's a limited supply of Men that are desiring to go into full-time ministry and desire to serve the Lord, many of the believers here are first-generation believers. Mm. And so uh, there's a zeal, there's a great zeal among the the young people who get saved. Uh, but training that mentality of leadership and church leadership takes a little bit of time. I know in the history of the church here, back in the 90s, um, they had trained two or three, maybe four guys. And all four of them just kind of bombed out, just, I mean, messed up big time. And I think I mentioned that on Mm an earlier podcast. And so there wasn't a good track record with the church here with finding good men to take leadership positions. Um, J.B. Godfrey, he's the vice president of our mission, B-I-M-I. And he actually worked with a gentleman, uh, led to the Lord trained him to be a, a pastor. And he's to this day is a pastor in a village mm. outside of town, uh, uh, you know, quite a, a little ways away from where we live. And uh, he's still faithfully serving the Lord. And then he trained his son to take over and his son took over the mm. church there. And so um, we work with, uh, of course, Pastor Malik Joe is the lead pastor of the church. And he came and joined our church. Probably it's been... I want to say four years now since he came to rejoin the church and his background was he was saved uh, as a child. His dad was a first-generation believer. He got saved shortly after and was raised in this church back in the 90s, uh, Hiroko Masumoto-san-sensei, oh, wow. who's a missionary mm-hmm. from Japan to Senegal. Mm-hmm. She is uh, 80 years old. She's She just got back actually a, a week ago. And she's planning on just finishing her days out here in Senegal. But she was his Sunday school mm-hmm. teacher growing up. Then he moved away to Mauritania, a country north of mm-hmm. us, and really worked for himself, you know, did it, had his own job as a photographer. And so he learned the self-discipline of, of working a job, uh, needing to set your own time and your hours. And that was really essential And a big bonus for working with him when he came to join us is that for 10, 12 years, he was working for himself, meaning he knew how to take initiative. He knew already that discipline of being a pastor. There's a lot that carries over in the discipline area of needing to be self-disciplined, self-motivated. Some of that you can't teach, okay? Some of that you just, it's a character issue, Uh, as part of it. You can model that discipline and try to train that. But we were fortunate enough that he had already uh, been exercising that discipline of uh, working a job for himself, supporting himself. And then he would support his family here in Senegal with his job, came back, worked in a city nearby with another missionary for quite a while. And then he moved back to our city and I had been praying six years ago, we broke ground in this building to begin our church mm-hmm. plant. And if you listen to our uh, episode on cross-cultural church planting in Senegal, I share a little more details on that. So be be sure to go back and listen mm-hmm. to that. But the day we broke ground, I also began praying that God would send us specifically uh, somebody from that family, Malik's family, either one of Malik's brothers, mm-hmm. maybe his dad, or Malik himself to come and join us. And long story short, two years later into our church plant, he comes back to our city, comes to our church. He tells me, I I feel like God is leading me back to join the church here. I'm not sure why. And I'm snickering inside going, I I know exactly why, you know, Uh, (laughs) God is, God's doing something here. And it was about six months later when I began to seriously discuss, uh, involvement in ministry. I wanted to make sure we, we were, uh, you know, building a good, solid relationship, a good friendship before we dove into ministry, uh, talking about that. And now here we are four years later, he's a lead pastor of the church. And um, I'll talk a little bit more about kind of how we modeled our mentorship with them. There's another uh, gentleman that we worked with, similar story to the uh, gentleman that you mentioned, uh, that you trained. He came out of a charismatic background. He was from a Muslim family, the school yeah. he attended was a an Anglican school, and when they got to high school, they had to make a decision to either study the Quran or continue studying the Bible. So it's a it's it's strange how things work sometimes in different wow. countries. So in Nigeria, where he's from, His Muslim family sent him to an Anglican school where all of elementary you're taught Bible, but then when you get to high school, you can either choose the Quran or choose the Bible at this Anglican school. Well, he had a decision to make. He loved the Bible. He loved reading the Bible. He sat down and compared this as a young high schooler, sat down and compared the Bible to the Quran, and he was just convinced that the Bible was the truth and decided Mm -hmm. to follow Jesus and the scriptures, Mm. and really was born again by faith in Christ before he even came to know Christians. Obviously, the the Anglicans here in Senegal, you'll probably find true born-again believers among the Anglican church uh, in Nigeria, not Senegal. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a lot more conservative Uh, churches are a lot more conservative in general in their doctrine in Africa than they are in Europe or America. Churches that we would just write off as being totally liberal uh, are much more conservative here. It's a weird dynamic. But that being said, Hmm. the first church that he encountered though, because he wasn't attending the Anglican church, the first church he started attending was a Word of Faith church, unfortunately. I mean, extreme charismatic uh, uh, group there. And so that was kind of how he was trained. He even did an institute at their Word of Faith Institute. When he joined our church, he moved to Senegal. And when he joined our, he didn't join our church, it took, it was about three years of intensive Bible study with him before he came to the conviction that that the Baptist view was a biblical view. And we emphasize that, that he was drawn to our church because of the biblical teaching. But we told them we don't want you to, because we're going to rebaptize you, because um, because of the doctrine of that particular charismatic church, um, included salvation in the baptism, and so we told them. Because of that, you know, your baptism is a testimony of not only your faith in Jesus, you're, you're not getting resaved here, but your mm-hmm. baptism is a testimony of you joining and belonging to the body of Christ. And so we're going to do that as a testimony that you're becoming a part of the body of Christ, you know, of this local church. And we can get into re-baptism maybe another time in... And- where we, you know, how you decide who you're going to rebaptize and who not. And that's an Ooh. important thing that missionaries need to discuss. And maybe we'll mm-hmm. get into that. But so it took three years before he said, you know, we told him, you're not joining a club. This isn't the Baptist club mm-hmm. and you just agree with us. And so we'll, you know, you become a member. We want you by conviction to believe that what we are teaching is biblical, not because we're Baptist, but because it's Bible. And about mm-hmm. three years went by and and he, he said, you know what, I, this is where my convictions are. This is, you know, biblical teaching, I'm ready to get baptized. And so he joined our church and we did a little more intensive training with him. And then when Daniel Jenkins went to the Gambia, uh, after about two years of Daniel and Sarah working in Gambia, we sent Lawrence down kind of as a missionary out of our church to assist Daniel and so he's working with Daniel for a year, and then we'll reevaluate in a year and see where he's at if he's going to continue ministry there. But um, those are the true two, two primary guys that we've invested in specific mentorship, and then we're working with a couple other guys right now, but we're just in the early stages. But that's one thing I wanted to bring up. So that's kind of our personal experience of who we've worked with and uh, who we've invested our lives in. But let's look a little bit about. What what are some of the models of mentorship and training? Uh, and one of the questions I want to ask you, I'm curious to know, is when you when you began training the first gentleman to become a pastor. Did you already have a model of mentorship in mind? Did you have a structure in place that you said, once I find a pastor, this is the guy, you know, this is how I'm going to train him. This is what mm-hmm. I'm going to implement, what I'm going to do. And then so share, Did or was that something that developed as, as you went along and then um share a little bit maybe about uh, some of the models of mentorship that you either implement or that that are important to you, that you've you've encountered along the way as a missionary?
1: So one of the things that's important to mention here is that when Ari, Pastor Ari, came into our church, as young Ari at the time, that wasn't the first time that I attempted to train people for the for the ministry. And I think that's important to talk about, is that we may not talk a ton today about, um, for maybe a lack of a better term, the failures, the ones who fell by the wayside that there had been few that either I saw potential in or they came to me and and maybe mentioned an interest in um, more Bible training, maybe the possibility of serving the Lord in different capacities. And so I had already tried different ways. Some of it had been with, um, you know, already recorded classes. So uh, this is after we've done a a discipleship, a basic discipleship, and then more of an intense discipleship. And so when Ari came along, and Ari's very excited about being a pastor, and it's obvious that it's real. um, One of the first things we always did was we tried to observe the other missionaries in our island. Um, you know, there are many wonderful ministries in, in, in Central America, South America, Mexico, America. America. But we really wanted to kind of see, okay, so we have a context of being in a Dominican culture. Uh, we had a number of other missionaries we could kind of uh, talk to and see some of the things they've done. And so after kind of blending many of the things they had, we started, first of all, with a very intense discipleship, as you mentioned. I think we're going to talk about that a little bit more. But I think discipleship uh, with you know an intense good material it really helps you fill in the holes fill in the gaps where you think someone's got something that you understand you've preached about it but going through the material and then obviously you know discipleship is not just a book that's just the jumping off point where you you know have something to talk about and then to further elaborate And so with Pastor Ari we start and make sure that discipling uh, through the doctrine we had that right then, when we realized he 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 was ready for the next level, that's when we kind of tried to have a mix. Now, I don't have it all together as far as a hundred and twenty-hour credit uh, Bible college. Um, we have tried different. Thankfully, in our language, there are a lot of resources. I know in your language, it's a much more limited, but so we're able to pick and choose and be a little more uh, particular with maybe the presentation. Not only necessarily just saying you know this is doctrinally correct, but what really fits. Each learner, even, uh, and so we also were able to go participate on this island in different uh, settings with other missionaries, other pastors. Either they would come in, or we would go to them. Um, I myself taught a majority of the classes which we instilled into Ari, and then I think we'll talk about this a little bit more too. But just the opportunity as they learned to practically. Uh, disseminate God's word in in devotionals and Sunday school classes and serving in the church. And so rudimentary that's kind of how we started was with discipleship, all right? And then you know you get to that next level, there were guys who actually started with Ari alongside with him with the classes that kind of fell by to the wayside, but the the cream as they say kind of rises to the top. And so with with both those gentlemen, our, uh, Elias was a little further along in his training. We kind of came in and finished it cuz he had started in a Bible institute in America. But then with Elias, it was also the same idea of, okay, we can see that you uh, doctrinally have all of this. Now, let's put it into action. Let's start a bus route. Let's uh, teach Sunday school. Let's preach. Let's go out and, and do these different things that will prove that you've picked up what you've learned. And so, as far as the mentorship, you know, all throughout the New Testament, there's one phrase that we see all the time, which is that the disciples were with Christ. And really that mentorship always starts with quality time and probably one of the areas that I have failed in the most is is setting aside that time because it has to be intentional that you to say I'm going to intentionally spend time with this preacher boy or this this uh, potential leader and it's more than just the material although the material is important it is really that quality time you spend being with them training them allowing them to go out and make mistakes and correct them And so that's kind of how uh, in both cases with our preacher boys, our men, and uh, and then those with the leaders that we can talk about later on, it's really that withness, being with them, um, sharing your burden, sharing your, your philosophy so that they can... Uh, go forward in the direction that you you see fit according to God's Word.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the thing really that we'll hone in on as we discuss some of the modeling, mentorship models, and discipleship patterns that can be put into place. We cannot overemphasize the necessity of spending time just investing Mm -hmm. your life into the Spiritual leader that you're cultivating. I met with a missionary. He was a missionary in uh, Cote d'Ivoire, Ivory Coast, and then he ended Mm -hmm. up moving to Quebec. And he told me a lot of the way that he would mentor spiritual leaders in Cote d'Ivoire, he decided just to implement that and put it into practice in Quebec, and he has no formal discipleship program at his church, but with those who come, especially young new believers, he engages them where they're at. So he said, I'll go over there. I'll find out needs that they have. And he's a handyman. A lot of missionaries are, I wish I was more of a handyman, but he would go <laughs> over and dying. help a guy, you know, get his car brakes changed on his car. And, and, uh, that's when he would put his mentorship into practice is engaging with those. I remember, uh, One of our supporting churches, uh, Pastor Kenny Baldwin in Virginia, great church there. And one thing that really stood out to me when I was there at their missions conference is that he had four or five preacher boys he, there's no Bible college there, but he had about four or five preacher boys Mm -hmm. that were just constantly with him, And they were saying that those boys could get called upon at any time in any service to get up Mm -hmm. and get a five, 10, 15, 20 minute message on the spot. And so they had to be always ready. And he was pouring his life into them. I remember one missionary um, I was speaking with was telling me about a missionary In the country he served in, who was very successful in seeing a high rate of pastors being trained and going out and starting, you know, spirit I'm using the word spiritually again, but successful church plants. And his model of mentorship was he just opened his home to the nationals and he would just share his home with them. Sometimes they would stay the night at his house. And now, he was investing day and night in the lives of the national guys he was training. Now I will say this, you're opening yourself up to, um, more danger doing that. So what I want to add going into kind of how, how we've modeled and, and how we do it is that you have to strike the balance between investing large amounts of time into those you're mentoring while at the same time understanding the time necessity of investing in your own family and the protection of your family. So you look at Jesus, right? Jesus invested day and night in his disciples, and he spent more time investing in the spiritual growth of teaching doctrine to his disciples than he did in the masses of the crowds. But you also have to understand that Jesus didn't have a family, right? He said, who is my (laughs) mother and my brother? It's everybody who follows me. Whereas we're called to serve on the mission field with our families and you cannot sacrifice your family. You have to find a balance there to invest your time in training of leadership, but not at the sake of sacrificing your family. And so that was a balance we were still trying to, you know, continue to cultivate and, and strike. With Pastor Malik, when he joined, so much of our relationship was built on m- just spending hours together. The first year that he joined our church and began working together, we would spend five hours a day just talking. Um Julie would be like, "What do you guys talk about? It's just he spent five hours a day down there talking. <laughs> and we would talk about everything from uh, evangelism in the Islamic context. I was learning from him, so I'm soaking it in from him. We would talk about culture. We would talk about the worldview, how people perceive the gospel. And then from my perception and my vision for the church, I would pour that into him. And it was in those sessions of us just talking that I would share my heart. And as I'm cultivating a vision for what God wants me to do, and I'm sharing biblical truth with him— I noticed as time went on, when he would preach, a lot of what I was pouring into him was coming out in his preaching. Even just last week, something I said to him in one of our meetings, he preached like an entire section on something I had, we were talking about. And so that's a good sign of somebody who's teachable. And then of course, so much I have learned from him and how to be, you know, adapt to the culture and learn to be more effective in my evangelization and communication. And so, one of the benefits of the way that we structured our church plant with just having Bible reading time was we would meet before church during the week. We would read our passage together and then we would discuss the passage among each other so that our hearts were on the same page. And then that Sunday would come along and we were on this, we were both rolling on the same, on the same page here. And um, we would be able to share together in this partnership of sharing the gospel on Sundays. It, it It's almost like it doesn't make sense. You need to have just, you got to just have one guy doing all the work. You know, a lot of times it's kind of our mindset, but it just worked because our hearts were knit in, in that mentorship time of both of us growing together. And then um, as I learned kind of how he would interpret the Bible and I was, you know, making sure that it was, it was a biblical (laughs) way in which he was interpreting scriptures and making application. And then we would just grow together with that. And then once we started doing traditional services, I would have him do a 10 minute session where he would, in the Wolof language, he would give, read a Bible passage (laughs) give a little thought. I would tell him, you got about 10 minutes. And we Mm -hmm. would work on that together. Then it bumped up to 20 minutes. And then, then we got to where he was preaching full services, uh, full messages. And so just, just working together in that he's uh, more than anybody else that I've worked with. He's probably the one I've invested most of my time in. And now what's really neat to see is the same model of mentorship that I invested in Malik, and even the way I implemented him into leadership in the church to where we eventually got to the place of him becoming the lead pastor. He took that same model and then reinvested it in the others that we are training in the church. And so there's a young man right now, he's taking Mm -hmm. that same pattern and he's reinvesting it only... My opinion is it's a hundred times more effective because they're the same culture, the same language, you know, he's going to take it much further than what I could even take it with him. And so it's exciting to see just the Bible put into practice that the way Paul taught that we're, we're to teach others who are able to teach others also, and that multiplying effect. But, and I think you agree with me because you mentioned it, you can delve more into it, but it, it takes time. It's not It's not just structuring, and I'm all for structure. I want to talk in a minute about some of the structure mm-hmm. we have of discipleship and some of the model that we do. But 90% of the work is you just investing your heart, your life, and your time in the ones you're training. And um, I think that's so important.
1: So it's very interesting how, in your case, uh, you... Have this church that's planted, and you pray, and the Lord sends this labor, and you knit your hearts together in training, and He takes over the leadership, and that's—I think—that's certainly of the different patterns we consider as being independent Baptist church planters. That's that is one of the first uh, patterns we we desire to have, and honestly, it's funny because everybody's story is different. That's how I envisioned it happening when Pastor already comes to our church and says he wants to be this, but then but then you can see very early on his heart was truly knit towards his side of town. We have interesting dynamic in the Dominican that even in the culture itself there are subcultures and you know you have uh, economic strata and how that works with education. And so right away Ari had this this goal that it seems the Lord put on his heart from the very beginning to go back to his own people, back to his own town, his area. And so as a missionary I could understand that from the very beginning even though selfishly I wanted him to take over the church we started. Well, then Pastor Elias comes on board, and this is a very interesting part about his testimony. I originally first met him and said, wow, this guy is, you know, he's, he's educated. The people respond to his leadership. It's obvious he's a mature Christian. I could see him easily being the pastor of our church. And I remember sitting here right here on our sofa one day talking to him about that. And he was like, no, no, pastor, I'm an evangelist. I'm, you know, I, I go out and I knock on the doors. I bring people in. Well, what was interesting, and I, I believe he would say this is true, after we launched Ari out and we helped Ari start his church and we built him a church and, and his, his church is really rolling and getting going, I could see the, the tumblers working with Elias that he says, you know what? You know, this bus route I have where only the kids and the teens will get on the bus route. And I remember him, probably within a few months after already starting his church, coming to me saying, Pastor, we need to start a church over here. You know, and I'm thinking, man, I wanted you to just be the pastor of our church. That's how it's supposed to go. i you was know, supposed to pass this on. But you could see the missionary zeal to go to an area specifically where he is now, where there are no other churches within miles, which is very uncommon in the Dominican And so in in both of these cases, there's one gentleman that right away knows what he wants to do. And then the other one who through training, through service, the Lord gives them the burden. And all that came, as you mentioned, through time together serving and studying the Word of God.
0: Yeah. The language the Bible uses and specifically the apostle Paul uses is familial language. Paul Mm -hmm. refers to Timothy as my son in the faith, but we know Timothy was a believer before he met Paul. In fact, Timothy was actively involved in ministry before he met the apostle Paul. And so Paul took him aside and kind of expanded his ministry. In fact, what I love about Timothy, it's similar to maybe working with with Malik and I and the way it worked with us, is here Timothy is in Lystra and Derby, and he's this promising young man. He's kind of doing the circuit of these churches in his region. And he might be kind of this, you know, up and coming, bright star of, of, you know, he'll be a great pastor one day and he's a great Bible teacher and he's kind of the big deal. You know, the grandmas are pinching his cheek and he's, you know, this Mm -hmm. great Timothy, we love him. And the apostle Paul comes along who just the year previous had been stoned to death, you know, in Derby. (laughs) He comes back and says, Hey, Timothy, I want you to join me. And Timothy, I, I think personally, as I study that, that passage, I think Timothy while the apostle Paul had this worldwide ministry, Timothy would be taking almost a lesser position with lesser influence, maybe at the start, really took humility on his part to submit to the leadership of Paul and join that team where he was may may not be as prominent, you know, if we want Mm -hmm. to put it that way. And yet he was humble and teachable and saw the vision of what the apostle Paul was doing and joined the team. And then, the apostle Paul just invested his life the way a father would a son. And, um, and, I, and I'll say this, I think for missionaries, especially for the men, I don't gauge the success of a, of a missionary with the time he invests in the national leadership. I think it begins in your home. If you are not discipling and mentoring your children and raising them with the same fervor and passion and strategy and intention as you do with the national leadership. Uh, I, I I don't think God's pleased with that. I think that's mm. a detriment, not only to your family, it speaks poorly of, of character. I've encountered missionaries who lost their family because they've invested so much time to the detriment of their family and to training nationals that um, you do have to work a balance, but at the same time, You only get so many years with your family, with your kids. And so you need to find that balance somewhere. And your kids are a great, great, great to practice on. You know, a lot of the way that I, the the way I developed my training for training other pastors and mentoring uh, young men here, I I practice on my kids. I try to train my (laughs) kids and pour my heart into my kids and and that begins, first of all, with cultivating a heart for the Lord yourself. You really, it just has to be real. And if you're going to make it real in the life of somebody else, your walk with the Lord has to be real yourself. And then as you begin to pour in somebody else's life, that passion and the, you know, the the genuineness of a walk with God is going to be portrayed and that, and that will pour out as well and so yeah definitely you, you have to learn to figure out what God is you know wants you to do as an evangelist missionary church planter and when the right guy comes along learn to cultivate your time and schedule time to invest lots of time and I will say this and I don't know what your experience has been if you've had any negative experience but personal discipleship and, and training of a spiritual leader, it's draining. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's very rewarding when it works and the person, you know, <laughs> desires to serve the Lord and becomes a pastor. But it also, there is the potential of great discouragement, especially if you spend two, three years investing your heart and life in somebody and they just either bomb out or they were deceiving you the whole time. That happened here in Senegal. A gentleman came, he told the missionaries he was a believer. He wanted to be discipled by them. He hinted at wanting to maybe be a pastor one day. The missionary spent three years working with this gentleman. Three years they invested in his life, discipleship, and time. He ate with them, and they spent time together. And they went on furlough. And what did he do? He robbed them blind. He robbed them, took everything, a bunch of stuff from their house and was never seen from again. Mm-hmm. And so it's, uh, wow. you, yeah, you're definitely setting up for a, a potential of heartache. But at the same time, it's so rewarding when you put into practice that model of mentorship that is really displayed in the scriptures. And uh, we've seen it displayed in other missionaries. And when you put it into practice, there's a lot of reward to it.
1: Yeah, I I agree with all those things you said, especially the part about you can have your heart broken. Um, We haven't had someone maybe as extreme as the situation you mentioned, but I think as a pastor, as a missionary pastor, uh, pretty much when someone starts visiting your church that has uh, potential, you're probably way before they are even thinking about the idea of them maybe serving the Lord. And as those first steps go along, you're training, you're going along, um, you're very excited about the possibilities of the Lord. But I think the older I get, and I'm sure you're this way too, and I I know this from just testimonies from other missionaries, I think you realize how, how few and far between sometimes the candidates are. Some of that has to do with um, disqualifications from the ministry, and some of it has to do with education. But a lot of it just has to do with the commitment level that it takes to be a pastor and to be a missionary. And so when you start getting those people that are the possibilities. You start getting excited about it because they're, they're not a lot of them. And so as a missionary, I think the the thing I really want to express today more than anything is take the time, as Josh is mentioning, take the time with the serious candidates and make them a high priority. That doesn't mean they're all going to turn out, but there, there are few people who you will spend your life and you will help uh, train them for the ministry and they'll go on and so it's worth it uh, and it's probably of all the things we do the most important thing we do so yeah they're going to be failures there are going to be ones that fall by the wayside maybe some that don't become pastors become uh, good church workers and servants but boy when you get those ones that become gems you realize how how much it was all worth it to get to that point and you don't want to failure to be because you were lazy enough or you were too lazy and you didn't spend the time properly uh training that person and so when the i call i call it the ping pong effect when you hit a ping pong ball into your side you need to hit it back and so when there's somebody who is a has that potential you want to take that ping pong and hit it into their court you know maybe they'll maybe they'll make an error but you're gonna you're not gonna be the it's not gonna be because of you you're gonna be always sending it back into their court with spending time having materials and just constantly being around them until uh, the lord reveals it one way or the other
0: yeah that's really good I think it's important to understand how how you are going to approach mentorship. If you're a young missionary and uh, you've just got into the field, maybe you haven't yet begun to mentor somebody. and let's let's look at the context of the mission field you're on. there's not there isn't a formal Bible college, okay? A lot of times when there is a Bible college structure set into place, the structure is already there for you to plug your life into somebody. You have students who are there voluntarily. You have young men there that want already, they know they have a desire to pastor or to lead a church. Um, lot, not every missionary is in that context. Mm. We certainly are We don't have any official institute. In fact, I don't think as far as I know in the evangelical world, certainly not in in our small circle of Baptist churches here, there isn't really any formal institute for training uh, that is long-term. As far as I know, there may be a couple here, but uh, none that I'm aware of uh, real uh, real well. And so we're really looking at really just going back to New Testament, you know, the way that the Apostle Paul would invest in the lives. Now, There's the cliche saying that God does not always call the equipped, but he will equip the called. And so when he calls you to mission work, he's going to give you everything you need um, spiritually, mentally, you know, to be able to accomplish the work that he has called you to do. But mentorship is not natural for everybody. Not everybody is natural at being able to train somebody else. And by that, I mean, you may be a good learner, you may be somebody who is humble, you're able to learn, you're teachable, but you don't know how to reteach maybe Mm -hmm. in a level of being able to break down for somebody else how you do what you do or why you do what you do. I'll give you an example. Just the other day, uh, somebody asked me if I could show them the process of how I do video editing and how I do all our social media here and how I put all that together. And I'm like, oh yeah, sure. And then I sat down and thought, I just do it. Like, I don't know, how Mm -hmm. would I tell them how I do it? Mm -hmm. I just do it. Like, how would I sit down? I've got to sit down Mm -hmm. and spend a few days here thinking through the process of why and how I do that so that I can share them in a way that they can understand um, because, you know, it's something I do. So most pastors, I mean, we pastor, we preach, it's just, we do it. We prepare a message. We just, mm-hmm. we do it. But are you able to train somebody else and break down to the nuts and bolts of why you do what you do? Why did you preach it? Why did you interpret the passage that way? And so I wrote down two things that I think help. And we're not going to get real deep into it this time. I just want to kind of cover it a little bit. You can share some thoughts on it. But for the individual missionary, I think it's important. Two things are important if you're going to begin investing in the life of somebody else in a way that's going to be beneficial both to you and the uh, the spiritual leader that you're training. The first is this. You need to be self-disciplined. The Apostle Paul said, I discipline my body i i bring my body under discipline i uh you know i don't want to be a castaway he said and so mm-hmm. he buffets his body i mean he put his body through the ringer and he would he would make sure that while he was preaching to others he himself was practicing what he was preaching and that he was exercising on the weekdays what he was implementing and teaching on sundays and so like a baseball player who's going to get up and bat on, you know, a Saturday game, he's got to be at batting practice all week so he's prepared mm-hmm. for that game, and that's true in sports and that's true with uh, with the ministry. We've got to be self disciplined, just like any soldier is going to have to have that discipline. You have to learn self discipline, especially when you get to the field where. If you're in the context like us where you're working by yourself, if you don't have the character of self-discipline already established, um, you can easily get into a rut of, you know, laziness or whatever else you want to call it. And then I would say, secondly, learn to know yourself. So the Bible says, examine yourself. If you are in the faith, uh, the Bible also says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, why are you saved? You know, you put your faith in Jesus, but what does that mean? You know, learn to examine and know yourself the way you learn and learn to think those things through so that you can kind of regurgitate that process and then share it with others. uh, Because the best way for you to learn to mentor somebody else is to learn how you're mentored, learn how you learn. And as you learn your process, then you can better communicate to others, breaking down kind of how you're able to invest, how you're able to invest your life and your heart into others. That for me was a big help. Just kind of being able to sit down, go through the pro- my own process, write down how do I think things through? How do I learn? What 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 is most beneficial for me? And as you learn the structure of how you yourself learn, then you can kind of see how other people learn and how you can break down different people's personalities and then be able to begin to invest. So I think those are two things that I would say just kind of surface level as we're talking about mentorship is is learn to cultivate self-discipline yourself, and then learn yourself. Learn how you learn so that you can become a better teacher. What are some of your thoughts on that? And then we'll get more into some of the discipleship structures that we've implemented.
1: So I couldn't agree more with the two points you have, which are really wonderful, uh, especially the idea of um, the self-discipline. You know, when I think back, it's funny how when you mentioned that it jogged my memory, how there, were, there was a young preacher boy who wanted to serve the lord we started training but very early on i saw that his self-discipline was terrible and actually he fell by the wayside and is not in church to this day and so when ari came along and he says he wants to be a baptist preacher you know it was it worked out for us that at that time we were physically building our church building that we are in now and so Ari has skills both as a brick mason, but more specifically as a painter. And before I did one class with him, we might have done some discipleship, but before I ever did any of that stuff, I had him working on the job site. I wanted to see what kind of worker he was, what kind of self-discipline he had, because if he didn't have that, I wasn't going to spend any time, you know, hours on end trying to train him the Bible if I knew that he was Probably going to follow the pattern of this other gentleman. And right away, I saw the difference in his character than this other gentleman. And he was a hard worker to this day. He has a side business where he's actually a carpenter as well. And he builds furniture to help subsidize his uh, his uh, life for his family, provide for them. And so... You know, that was one of the first things when it came to seeing a potential leader was to see that ability, that self-discipline, that self-motivation that you have to have not only as a missionary, but as a pastor, as a servant of the Lord. Uh, you mentioned uh, learning, the aspects of learning. That's so important. We all learn differently. I learned Spanish from tutors for being in a class through uh, digital ways. I mean, there's I learned all different kinds of ways, and so I think that's important. Uh, there was one other thing, and I'm old, so I forget what I was going to say. Uh, but... Um, uh, i 'll probably come back to it but 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 so much when it comes to training is like you said doing a self assessment of yourself and how you yourself um, maybe learned and realizing you know, let me try going down this path, but being open to different ways and bringing others alongside to help you with the training was also something that was very vital for us
0: yeah absolutely, and that's now that carries over into as you begin to learn to cultivate and establish your own way of learning. Once you can communicate to yourself, okay, this is how I learn. Like not just I'm learning, but this is why... I learn the way I learn. Once you're able to do that, you're able to evaluate and, and see in others the way that they learn to know how to best invest, how to best cultivate different relationships. And like you said, that's one of the key factors early on with working with somebody. It's the same with us is the discipline. If somebody early on is showing signs of self-discipline, um, of having that aspect of their character cultivated, then I'm more open to investing more time in them. There's a young man that I, I were working with right now that I do feel that he will in the future be one of our church planters in the South of this country, but there is a little bit of a lack of self-discipline. And so we haven't gone full force with it with bringing him in and cultivating a deep relationship and mentorship yet we're working on just simply getting him to be faithful on time at different meetings that we hold we we give him little responsibilities here and there and Malik and I are trying to gauge where his discipline is and once we see that he's got faithfulness down in these little things then we're going to begin to pour in he's you know he's maybe about 3 years out before we see him getting to a place where we would seriously consider uh, getting a church started with them. But it's just, it's time. You know, you you take your time. A lot of missionaries get real excited right away when somebody comes along showing promise. Mm -hmm. Don't jump on the first wagon that comes riding by because especially in cultures like ours, in the Islamic culture, um, deception is actually a virtue, okay? And this isn't a knock on, I'm not degrading Muslims at all. I have respect for my Muslim friends and my Muslim neighbors, but it is a reality that an honest Muslim will also say, tell you is that de- deceiving a non-believer is a virtue that even Allah sometimes engages in. And so you may get a guy coming along who is fully Muslim, but they're pretending to be a Christian and wanting to They're just looking to get something from you and they'll patiently wait out the long game. And so you, you really have to, um, you have to take your time, be, be prayerful in the way you invest in people and, uh, don't be cynical, but be a little skeptical at first when people come along with a perfect background story and they seem perfect for, you know, taking over your church early on, you know, just take your time with people.
1: Yeah, I I couldn't reiterate that more. It was something I think maybe I was thinking about earlier. Um, something I learned from our pastor, um, and something we've tried to implement in all the ministries here is that you just you don't rush anything. Um, time will always show character, will always show uh, your heart, whether and, and, and whether it be the the positives or the negatives. That's you know that's in your own life, your own marriage, your own family. But this, but especially with uh, the Lord's Church. You want to uh, realize there's not a rush. I I have seen so many examples where uh, people have been put and rushed into leadership roles, and um, even in our own opportunities here, we there have been times maybe not as pastors, but maybe song leaders, things like that. Where you know I realize, wow, I might have rushed that person along a little bit. But I've seen it in 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 detriment when it comes to pastors um, where. I don't know. I don't know the true heart of the missionary if it was because he wanted to be able to tell someone he turned his church over. And I understand that that desire, but our experience, our observations over the years, missionaries that you know take the time to really know the person, not only their doctrine but especially their character. They are so. Uh, tightly woven together a hand in glove situation I've known so many guys who have the right doctrine had terrible character and, and didn't belong in the pulpit and I've seen guys who are wonderful gentlemen who had terrible doctrine and didn't belong in the pulpit and both of those things take time as the mentor as the leader as the trainer uh, to help them along so that the cause of Christ is not damaged <laughs>
0: And I'll just say this, we're coming kind of uh, almost to our full hour here. And so we'll kind of end here. I think next week we're going to get more into details of some of the structure of discipleship and mentorship that we've implemented. We'll share kind of, I'll share next week, the structure that we're implementing in national leadership training, um, for the next coming years. As we expand our church planning, I know you'll share a little bit, maybe more details, some of the discipleship, but I just want to end with this. I think the future of missions in so many countries is national leadership. Um, what I'm seeing in the States, a lot of churches are beginning and they have for the past decade have begun to understand the value of supporting a national leader. Um, of how much cheaper it is to support a national pastor than sending a missionary. I had this conversation with Pastor Malik. I I asked him, do you think it's time for Senegal to simply be the the church here, to just be led by national workers and the missionaries just kind of go back to the States? And I'm not ready to go back to the States, but I just wanted to get his feel, what what his opinion was, because I've had pastors ask me, well, wouldn't it be just... More effective if we just send our money to national pastors instead of supporting you, the foreign missionary who's quadruple the cost of living Mm -hmm, overseas. mm -hmm. And I asked that question to Pastor Malik. He said, we need missionaries. We we." We are not at a place in this country, in Senegal, where we're ready for the national church and the national leaders to take full control. But we are at a transition in Senegal where the national leadership has to step into the forefront. And I think missionaries have to be ready with that mindset. In the past, what I evaluated with different missionaries that I've read about and evaluated past ministries was it was almost this mentality of this is the missionary's work, it's the missionary's church, and the national is working for the missionary. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what happened, I saw, and I've mentioned this in an earlier podcasts, is when that na- when the missionary leaves, sure, he's trained these nationals, but it was always the missionary work. And so when the missionary leaves, the nationals were Wrapped up in the identity of the church, of the missionary, the church had cultivated an identity that was wrapped up in the Western missionary. And if the missionary leaves, they kind of lose their identity because they don't have that Western reference with them. Now they're kind of stuck in this middle ground of we're still African, but we were heavily influenced by a Western mentality. And there were great successes in the past and, you know, some fell by the wayside of the work. All that being said, I think we're entering an era in missions, and maybe we've already begun that where the missionary needs to understand coming in, this is a partnership. Number one, it's not my work. It's the Lord's work. And that's the way it's always been. This is God's work. And he's going to the Holy Spirit's going to take care of this work far better than I can. So I don't have to have my fingers on every little thing, and I don't have to be in charge of every little thing. But right. as you train nationals, it's it's not with the mentality that the nationals are working for me. This is a true partnership. And of course, in the in the structure of a church, there's going to be a structure of administrative leadership. that's, That's foregone conclusion with the nature of, of humans. We have to have Mm -hmm. leadership and all that, but it's not the same structure as the way the world models it. Jesus said, the, the chiefest among you is going to be the servant you're going to serve and in your serving one another, that's where you elevate the entire church work. And so I think missionaries need to come in with an understanding wherever you're serving, wherever the church is in your country, as a general rule, that there needs to be a cultivated, it's a national partnership. You're partnering with the nationals hand in hand and with the idea that we want to see an indigenous national church That's going to outlast our influence and our input. And that comes from emphasizing the Bible. That comes from investing your heart, a heart that's been cultivated by a love of Jesus and scriptural doctrine, and then investing that in others and letting the national culture kind of shape the identity of the church as it's being transformed by a biblical mindset and biblical doctrine. And as you walk hand in hand in partnership with the national leadership, I think there's going to be a much more long-term effect that's going to be produced for fruit that remains than simply being the, the head guy who's in charge of everything that has his hand on everything. And when he leaves, Everything's Mm. just kind of left to what do we do, you know? And so I just wanted to finish with that. That was kind of something I wanted to get off my heart and share. Um, I, I think there's still a need for missionaries, foreign missionaries to support missionaries. But at the same time, I see the benefit of supporting national churches. And maybe we'll do a whole podcast on how churches can support nationals, different ministries that are out there in the States that are allowing churches to support directly national leadership but all that being said um learn to be humble learn that this is a partnership with the lord and it's a partnership with others especially the nationals and i think you'll see uh, the lord do some some special work in the church planting that you're engaged in
1: yes i i um i wholeheartedly agree with that last the section of that statement you made, and I uh, just to add my perspective to it, which is very interesting. you know, you come from a, a country where there's, you know it's it's still uh, a great dearth of need for good Baptist, independent Baptist churches, doctrinally sound Bible preaching churches. You know, when I first came to the Dominican, and I, this may be the perspective of other missionaries who are listening to the podcast today in the capital city of Santo Domingo. Very early on, I realized, whoa, there are a number, a great host of wonderful national-led churches that have no missionary involved with in them now. Obviously, in many cases, that's how they were started. But the need that I saw was in the north, and there are now in the west, and the south, in different parts of the country. What happened in this country is the great majority of the wonderful churches They never went out. And so as a missionary, I have had wonderful relationships with some of the best preachers in the world that I know who are Dominican pastors. And we will sit down and talk and they will say, you know, one of our greatest needs and the greatest problems we have as a, you know, as a Baptist movement here in our country is that we don't have enough people wanting to go forth and start churches. And so the need for missionaries around the world is still great. Uh, Not just American, you know, North American missionaries, but just of of, in all places of the world. Because sometimes we don't want to leave our area, and so it can be a Mexican missionary, it can be a Filipino missionary, it can be a, a a Japanese missionary, it can be an American missionary that's willing to leave his country to go kind of show the pioneering spirit. And so that's what we've seen. And as we partner with nationals, boy, as soon as they can possibly properly be set in leadership. That is how something's going to flourish, and that—that's what we're going to talk about in the next probably couple of weeks.
0: And I wonder if you know that seemed to be a lot of national churches, missionaries who started churches turned it over to nationals. Um, unless you're intentionally cultivating that missionary spirit, there okay. is the mentality. And would you, would you agree, missionaries, American missionaries especially, a lot of them have had a tendency to want to build their own kingdom. The irony is that we're sent out, we're leaving our <laughs> comfort zone, and we're going from one country to the next, fulfilling missions. But then we get to our country and we, we either don't work well with other missionaries because we want to build our own kingdom and put our name on it. And I think if that's your mentality, when you're starting to work, that you want to build your own little kingdom, whether it's spoken or unspoken, if that's, if that's deep in your heart, that that's causing friction with other missionaries and you're not working with other people or other nationals, that's going to carry over in the heart of your church. When you turn it over to a national, that mentality will be there of, well, we're all about us. Like, why would we send somebody else out and engage in missions and evangelism when, when we are, you know, we're here to, we're here to build our own work. What I appreciate about one of the other churches in town, and I appreciate this about our church. there's two two of the main churches and is that the the heart of the members of the churches want to seek as many ways they can to engage the unreached. They want to, what, what's a new, what method can we employ? What's a way that we can reach our Muslim family and Muslim neighbors? What's a, what's something we could try just to get the gospel. And that comes from the top down. That comes from leadership, cultivating the heart of the love of Christ and people of wanting to give. And so I just say, missionary, be careful of not just going to think, well, I'm here, you know, to build a kingdom and build a name for myself and and uh so I could, you know, become a director one day or something like that, whatever it might be, right? Uh learn early on to cultivate a missionary heart in your church and it will pay off residually in the end as you turn that over to the national leadership.
1: Yeah, I think that's something we all have to be careful of. And I'm sure we've seen examples, but I think from the very beginning, missionary, if it's especially a new missionary listening you know you probably are called out of a church that was mission minded make sure that the churches you help plant are missions minded and if you start that from the very beginning with well, the churches we started from the very beginning we supported missionaries here on the field other church planners the the, the, new, the church plants that we started I encourage those pastors from day one make sure you're supporting missionaries and I think that just develops a missions minded heart and will always serve all the churches well
0: Well, we sure appreciate. All of you out there listening or watching, uh, taking time out of your day to uh, just listen oh, to us, converse. A <laughs> lot of people are watching, and uh, sorry, you got to see our mugs on here. <laughs> but uh, our prayer is that it'll uh, be a blessing to you. I uh, hope you'll take time to like and Thanks, subscribe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we've got some great feedback. Send us emails, uh, comment on our Facebook page, and let us know you're listening. Let us know where you're listening from and how this podcast has been a blessing to you. And send us any questions you might have, a topic. If there's something you want to hear Eric and I discuss, send in a topic, let us know, and uh, we'll be glad to try to cover that. This is Josh Mead from over here in Senegal, West Africa.
1: Eric Johnson, go Nats!
0: (laughs) Excellent. Well, we hope you have a great day. God bless.